Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Hello everyone. Thank you for joining us today. It's a privilege for me to speak to you from lockdown today. Don't know about you, but I think today is actually the first time that I'm properly dressed since the start of this whole affair. So thanks for listening. Let's start by by reading from 2 Kings chapter 2 in verse 19. The people of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. So a few weeks ago, before, just before the start of lockdown, when we had our last in-person prayer meeting, I felt this specific passage on my heart as we were praying. And after praying this specific, about this passage, there was quite a lot of confirmation from more than one person saying they really felt that this was a word of God for us at this time. And even when we looked at the prayer notes from, from other shofar churches, it also confirmed the same thing, that, that God is really saying this is a time for us to repent, to return to His word, and for Him to really heal the sources of our life, the places where we live from. Um, that he wants to heal that so I really believe this is a a timeless word for us that it's a word in season let's talk a little bit about Jericho the place where this this whole story played out so we see that um, the men of the city say this this town is well situated so Jericho was a city built in the Jordan plain and it was along a road that led up into the Judean countryside, into the hills. And um, as such, it was almost like a natural entrance into the promised land. And it was also the, the site of a perennial spring. So there was water that could irrigate the agricultural land around the city. Further, we see in the archaeological records that Jericho was actually settled for hundreds and hundreds of years, long before the Israelites and Joshua arrived during the conquest of the promised land. So we have to ask ourselves, if, if this city is so well located, um, and if it was constantly settled, if there were always people living there, how is it that the water was bad? And the only conclusion we can logically arrive at is that Perhaps the water wasn't always bad. So, taking a step back, Elisha arrived here right after his mentor Elijah was taken up into heaven. Now, Elijah was a prophet during the reign of King Ahab of the northern kingdom of Israel. And it was during King Ahab's time that a man named Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. We read in 1 Kings chapter 16 that in Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. 
He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his younger son Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. So after sacking Jericho, Joshua pronounced a curse on the city, and it says, by the word of the Lord. So it seems that this was the curse that also affected the water of, of Jericho. And we see that when Hiel rebuilt the city, the words of this uh, prophecy by Joshua actually came true. And both his oldest and his youngest son passed away in the process. And clearly, Hiel was a man who didn't believe in curses and who didn't have any respect for the word of God. And, you know, many of us actually are like him. We don't believe in curses either. We might say if we're generous that it's a, a superstition or that it's ignorance. But the word of God actually shows us and the story, especially of kings, show us that it's disobedience to the word of God that leads to curses in our life. Now, Hiel was from Bethel and Bethel was a city quite close to Jericho and it had a long history of rebellion against the word of God. So it all starts with Jeroboam, who was the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He built rebel altars and instituted rebel festival there to stop his subjects from going up to Jerusalem to worship. So during the time of Solomon's apostasy, when his heart started departing from God, you know, we've we all know the story of Solomon's many wives and how he started to build um, high places and altars and places of worship for them. And in doing so, his heart started to drift away from the Lord God. And it was in this time that God spoke through a prophet Ahijah to Jeroboam saying, you will be the king of 10 tribes of Israel. And this also happened after Jeroboam successfully led a revolution against the son of Solomon, King Rehoboam of Judah. So after this revolution, Jeroboam was king of 10 tribes of Israel and all of those people decided to follow him instead of the son of Solomon. But pretty quickly after being established as king, he was faced with a crisis. And the crisis was that there was a, a festival coming up in Jerusalem. And at these religious festivals, all the men in Israel were required to present themselves before the Lord in Jerusalem. And he had a very legitimate fear that the people who had just the start, started to follow him might be drawn away and give their um, legions back to King Rehoboam when they go up for this festival so he had a crisis on his hands and unfortunately despite the promises of God despite the fulfilled prophecy about him becoming king he didn't trust God instead he took matters into his own hands and he decided to make two golden calves the the one golden calf he placed in the north in in the in Dan but the other he placed in Bethel. Now the name Bethel means house of God. And 
that was probably a smart PR move on the side of Jeroboam to place the the golden calf in in the house of God. And what he said to the Israelites was, Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. We find that in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28. And so he said to them, Don't go up to Jerusalem to, to worship. Don't, don't go up to the festivals in Jerusalem. Because I've built an altar here. I've instituted the festivals here. Jeroboam even went as far as to introduce a new priestly order. And so he constructed a religion. He created a new religion to serve his own purposes and to stop the people of Israel from going up to Jerusalem. And then, despite the dramatic prophetic warning where a prophet came from Judah to warn him to stop and to repent, and where the altar that he built actually split open, um, Jeroboam still persisted in his unbelief and in his disobedience. And sadly, this disobedience and this unbelief led to both personal tragedy in his life, but also ultimately to the failure of his dynasty, which God had promised would continue as long as he remains faithful to him. And the patterns in our life often follow a very similar pattern. The curses, I beg your pardon, follow a very similar pattern. Now, when we fail to trust God in God's goodness, and we start to take matters into our own hands, we start living um, according to our own counsels, we start placing our functional trust, our real hope, in something other than God. And these, just to give a few examples, are things like, like our work, the esteem that we get, our wealth or maybe the the pleasures that we enjoy in life the hedonistic pleasures or maybe it's um, our escapist behavior we actually um, find our our trust and our hope in in the things that we escape into you know this may be serial dating or social media for some people it's video games or you know excessive fitness and the obsession with the body or Things like pornography. There are many, many ways in which um, we place our trust other than God. I think we've all seen and we've all experienced what happens when someone consistently and repeatedly makes those bad decisions, chooses against God's will for their own life, and how that leads to a downward spiral that that just gets worse and worse. Just to give a few more examples. You know, the husband who constantly chooses his work or his friends or his sports over his wife and family will eventually see that there's death in his family life. Or the careerist who always chooses work and finds all their significance in their work will find that in the end they only have their work. Or a person who constantly indulges in pornography will also see the effect of that in their relationships and even in their psychological well-being. And these are just a few examples. But you see that how we respond to God's word really determines everything in our life. It determines whether we have lives that are blessed, that are full of the favor and the goodness of God, or lives where things seem to always go wrong, or when things go right, we even can't really enjoy them. And 
it comes down to how we respond to God's word. If we honor God's word, we receive blessing. If we don't show honor for God's word, if we show contempt, it leads to cursing. So let's get get back to Jericho for a while. So we see that the text tells us that the water caused death and it made the land unproductive. So we see the water affected on two levels. It affected the people and it also affected the agricultural output of the land around the city. Um, You know, when we suffer under a curse, we often see it working on two levels as well. There's the the internal effect in our lives and then there's the external effect around us and it might start with things like depression and anxiety or issues of self-worth you know things that are in your internal world but will manifest outside of you in your relationships in your work or even in the community around you so the curses in our lives don't just affect us internally but they affect our our outward lives and also our community and the people nearest to us but we see that elisha when he went out to to heal the to address this problem he didn't just go to to heal the symptoms of the curse he actually went to address the source he went out to the spring and the the word that we see here for the word spring means source it means where the water issued out of and this is very instructive to us because we often take the opposite approach often we'll address the symptoms rather than getting to the real heart of the problem you know we tend to compensate we tend to minimize our problems or the shortcomings and our unbelief or even to excuse our bad behavior our real our real ailment unfortunately is that we are unwilling to trust in god and this failure to trust god manifests that we fail to obey him every time we fail to obey god we actually demonstrate that we don't trust him and really this is the the source of our of our problems and this is what needs to be healed so the healing of jericho's water actually started a little bit earlier than this account that we just read when elisha came to jericho with his um, mentor elijah as they came to the city the prophets guild of that of jericho came to elisha and said "Um, do you know that your master will be taken from you today they were asking about elijah's ascension and by coming to elisha and asking him about this and they actually demonstrated respect for him they demonstrated that they recognized him as a as a senior prophet and as the apprentice of the chief prophet of their time and so they opened the door for the for jericho to actually receive the blessing of god and um, we as the church of jesus actually play a similar role we can welcome jesus into our communities and by doing so open the door for him to really touch and heal our communities so when elisha then returned from across the jordan when where elijah was had ascended into heaven 
he returned and the men of the city welcomed him and they said our lord you know that that just those two words say so much about the attitude of the men of jericho towards elisha they were able to call him our lord and because they were able to receive the messenger of god they were also able to receive the blessing and the favor that he brought and this is just the principle of honor if we are able to receive god's messenger we are also able to receive the good things that come from them the men of the city then asked elisha to do something about the bad water elisha asked them please bring me a new bowl and put some salt in it when he did this he was actually saying to them we're going to do this by the book in in a, in a sense he was saying we are returning to god the way we're going to do this we're returning to god so the meaning of the new bowl was that it would be ceremonially clean you know according to the levitical laws a new bowl would be clean then the salt the salt had a lot of meaning firstly every sacrifice that was made according to the ceremonial law had to be made with salt so salt represented sacrifice it represented admitting your guilt and repentance and then there's also the preservative aspect of salt salt as a preservative it represents permanence um, there's a biblical phrase that we read a lot and it says a covenant of salt it represents a permanent and unbreakable covenant so these two elements together the salt is actually representing repentance and a restoration of covenant with god so elisha then goes out takes the salt pours it into the spring of water and says this is what the lord says i have healed this water never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive so even though elisha went out and poured the salt in he performed the miracle but he makes it very clear that it is god who actually did it that it's god who actually heals the water and also heals us the greater healing that happened that day wasn't the water but it was actually the heart of the people but the story doesn't quite end here this whole this whole passage is actually a story of how elisha retraces the the journey that he made um, with elijah on his way to the jordan where elijah was taken up and now elisha is going back in the opposite um, direction back towards uh, mount carmel so we read on in verse 23 that from there elisha went up to bethel as he was walking along the road some boys came out of the town and jeered at him get out of here baldy they said get out of here baldy he turned around looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the lord then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys and he went on to mount carmel and from there returned to samaria now as we've already seen bethel has long been a center of apostasy and idolatrous worship so it shouldn't really surprise us that much that the prophet was accosted by a group of boys here who deliberately disrespected him and by disrespecting the prophet of god 
they were actually deliberately disrespecting God and his word. But I want us to just stop here and notice that there's a multi-generational aspect to curses. Notice how the same contempt that was um, in Heel of Bethel, the same contempt for God's word, also came through to these boys. They, they shared in it. And this just shows how important it is for it is for us to deal with the curses in our lives because they don't just affect us they actually affect those who come after us i think we've all seen how the same patterns of alcoholism and divorce and violence seem to in a sense stay in the family or even to stay in the community and this is the nature of curses this is often what happens and I think what is going on here is that when we fail to obey God's word in a certain area, we inevitably also teach our children to do the same. And then we see how the, how the curse and how the contempt for God's word spreads. And eventually the whole community of Bethel had this contempt for God's word. Now we see that Elijah then turned around and called down a curse on them. In the name of the Lord. Notice here. In the name of the Lord. Elisha didn't call down a curse on them. Because of his own indignation. Or because maybe he was afraid. Of being in a vulnerable situation. 42 boys who were old enough. To run around the city. Were definitely also old enough. And enough of them there. To pose a physical danger to the prophet. But in the name of the Lord. This was actually God's judgment on the boys when Elisha pronounced the curse on them. And we read that two she-bears came out of the woods. They attacked the boys. They scattered them. And they definitely injured quite a few. And when we read this, as modern people, we recoil. We think, wow, this is so harsh. This is, this is extreme. I mean, is is that really necessary? It's the kind of questions that, that come up. And I must say, when I first read this um, part and when I was thinking about this message, I was also really disturbed. And at first, I strongly considered not including this portion in the message. But when we have such a strong reaction to God's word, we really have to ask ourselves, why do we react so strongly? What is it? That makes us react. And I, I want to propose to you. That the, the root of this. Is that we don't. We don't take sin seriously anymore. Um, and we don't fear God. And that should actually not surprise us. If we look at the world around us. You know we live in a society. That doesn't believe in sin anymore. In fact. It seems that every year. People believe in sin less. And that also shouldn't surprise us. Because. If there's no sin, then there's nothing to be guilty of. There's nothing to feel guilty of. And if there's also no sin, then we don't need a savior. So we deal with the fact that we don't want to feel guilty. And we deal with the fact that we don't want to feel like we need um, a Lord and a savior who will perhaps tell us what to do. So we get rid of both the guilt and the need for a savior. And... This is the attitude in the world around us. And unfortunately, 
this also affects us. We can't completely escape the fact that that influences us. So some of us, you know, we really buy into us. And like the younger brother in Jesus' most famous parable in Luke chapter 15, you know, we will minimize the, God of, the word of God and minimize it to the point where it becomes irrelevant. You know, if, if we minimize God's word, then it poses no hindrance anymore to us or our prodigal living. And in a sense, what we're saying is, I need to get away from God. The further I am from God, the better. You know, I've also noticed that in these times that we live, it's often very fashionable to be spiritual, to have some kind of spirituality in your life. But usually this kind of spirituality is one that doesn't involve any any traditional religion and it definitely doesn't involve the Bible. And really what people are doing is they are creating a, a religion of their own making with a God who can't contradict them. For God who can't get in the way of them living their lives just the way they want to. I mean, this is exactly the story of the younger son. He didn't want a relationship with his father, but he wanted the benefits. He wanted the, the his father's things. And I think this kind of um, spirituality that we see so in fashion today is very similar in the sense that people want the benefits of uh, faith and of religion, but they don't want um, the obligations. They don't want the Lord. And they definitely also don't want to be tied to a community where they have to be accountable. So that's the younger brothers among us. But there are also many of us who are like the older brother. And our contempt for God's word actually lies in the fact that we think we are able to keep it. In fact, we convince ourselves that we are able to keep God's word. And what we are really doing is we are also minimizing his word. We are reducing it to a level where we have just enough goodness in us to to measure up to this we we kind of push that bar down just far enough so that we can get over the hurdle but like our younger brothers who we actually look down on for not living up to our standards what we've done is we've actually elevated ourselves above god's word and in doing so we've shut god out and we can't actually dare to face god because we had to face the real God he'd show us up as a fraud and so we can have no relationship with God so at the end of the day this project of self-salvation that so many of us are on leads us to not worship the almighty God but actually a golden calf so do you see why this is so important why the sin of Bethel of showing contempt for God's word is so great. So how are you responding to God's word? Are you welcoming God's word, welcoming his messengers like the men of Jericho did? Or are you like Bethel? Are you treating the word of God with contempt? And have you made a, a golden calf of your own construction, a religion of your own construction that, can't actually contradict you or tell you how you ought to live where in reality you are the god of your own religion 
you know, your your golden calf might even resemble true faith in many ways. It might have that kind of form that looks like recognized um, religion. But the reality is in that you won't know God and <laughs> you will have to refuse to welcome Jesus. Jesus is the true messenger of God. You can run Jesus out of town. You can say, get out of here, baldy. But the fact is, without him, you will have to deal with the consequences of your sin on your own. Your community will have to deal with the consequences of sin and disobedience without Jesus, without his healing power. Or you can welcome him. You can say, our Lord. And you can let him heal the spring of your life of your community we see in galatians chapter 3 verse 13 christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole you see jesus by his his death on the cross took our curse on himself so that we can go free with and walk free from the curse See, Jesus is the true messenger of God. He's the greater Elisha. He's the new bowl and the salt. In fact, Jesus is the only new bowl. He's the only one who is clean enough, who lived the perfect life so that he could bring a sacrifice to God on our behalf. He's also the salt. His blood is the is the salt of the sacrifice that heals all our curses, that restores our covenant with God. So I want to ask you today, will you allow Jesus to pour the salt of his sacrifice into the spring of your life and heal you? So having heard this word, how will you respond you know, God has already shown us prophetically that this word is seasonal. That this is a word that he is speaking to us. So will you look at your life and your attitude in how you handle God's word? Will you allow God to come close to you to, to come and heal the, and restore the spring of your life? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that, that we can welcome your word, that we can bring, bring your word and bring the true messenger, Jesus, into our lives. Welcome him and say, Lord, please heal us. Lord, thank you that we can bring ourselves before you today and say, please come and pour your sacrifice into us. Lord, and help us to show the respect for your word. Help us to to obey you from the heart and let you heal every aspect of our lives. We thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.